Did you ever stop and think about what it is you like about Utah, why you live here? Uh, well, maybe, maybe you don't like living here, and maybe you think there's nothing good about the place, there's nothing good about Utah. Well, if that's the case, just get the hell out. That's what I would say, if you can, get out. But most of us live here uh, because we like it here. We like Utah, we like uh, the kinds of amenities it has to offer. Uh, and um, we want Utah to be a more beautiful place and a great place in the future. And we worry about the direction of the state. You know, how how are things going? Uh, are they making the right decisions for our future? Well, recently, um, an organization called Envision Utah, that's Envision Utah, uh, decided to do this in gigantic survey about what Utahns want for the future. Uh, just about a year ago, we sat down with the CEO of Envision Utah, Robert Grow, and talked about the survey and encouraged people to take it. And now 53,000 people have taken it, and the results are in, and there are some pretty interesting aspects about what Utahns think they should have in their future. Uh, I'd encourage you to go to envisionutah.org to look at all of the details of the study, but uh, they looked at air quality, disaster resilience, education, energy, housing and cost of living, all kinds of things. F again, 53,000 people took this survey. The results are uh, in, they've been tabulated, uh, and most of the results are now um, at EnvisionUtah.org. But I sat down again with Robert Grow, Bob as I like to call him, uh, at uh, 50 West, the uh, 50 West Cafe here on 50 West Broadway. We had some French fries and we talked about some of the aspects of the Envision Utah study. What do people want in their future? Well, you'll find out by listening to this episode of the Let's Go Eat Show and by going to EnvisionUtah.org. Uh, so without further ado, uh, oh, by the way, thank you to 50 West for uh, hosting us, and uh, thanks for the delicious French fries. Thanks to Dylan Allred for producing this show. And now, without further ado, I know I said that a second ago, but now I mean it. Now, without further ado, uh, the CEO of Envision Utah, Robert Grow. All right, there we go. Uh, Robert Grow, the CEO? CEO. Of uh, Envision Utah. We talked with... Uh, Bob, I don't know how long, was it a year ago? Not quite, but it's been a while. It's been a while uh, about this uh, big survey that Envision Utah uh, did. Uh, the, um, you wanted 53,000 people. Wanted 50,000 was our goal. 50,000 was 50, the goal. 50,000 was our goal, and that was by far the most aggressive goal ever set on anything like project like this in America. So we wanted to sort of beat all comers. Um, and uh, I guess we should reset the scene uh, just quickly. Envision Utah. Uh, remind people of what what your main purpose is yeah. before we get into Vision, it. Envision Utah was created in the late 90s by a group of concerned citizens, people's names you'd recognize, uh, editors of newspapers, uh, the governor, uh, Levitt, uh, lots of others, just uh, Spence Eccles saying, Where, what, are, what are we going to do as we add the next million people to the Wasatch Front? And that was looking out to 2020 and another million people. And so we worked on a major project called Creating a Quality Growth Strategy for the Wasatch Front and Back, which was released in 1999. So uh, we have a board of about 140 people who are leaders throughout the state. Uh, we have an executive committee of about 25. Uh, current governor is one of the honorary co-chairs. Spence, Spence Eccles is 
the other honorary co-chair. So you started with this major survey, a big survey. Not was I bet it wasn't 50,000 people, though, was it? Oh, the original one? Yeah, the original, the original one. one actually broke all the U.S. records at that point. It was, we got 17,000, 18,000 people to answer. So it was, uh, it, it's, it was a design of a new kind of process. And so we were testing the theory that rather than a group getting together and telling the public what was best, groups would get together who were smart and experts and say, here are your choices, public. Mm-hmm. Which ones do you want? So the public was responding to educated choices and then could tell us what direction their values, their hopes, dreams, and aspirations would take us. So so we pioneered that, and it's been followed probably where almost 80 million people in America live now. Uh, there have been these kind of visioning projects all over the country, but by far we've been the most successful at public involvement, and we just dwarf the next largest effort uh, in this survey. Uh, now, uh, so so the original survey done in 1999, did you say? Right, well, it was 98. Was 98, the 98. Survey. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and you came out with a series of um, not recommendations but conclusions or findings based on what the public basically said. six goals. Where yeah, where do you want the where do you want to see Utah go in the next twenty thirty years? It was six goals, forty two detailed strategies, which have been gradually getting implemented uh, by those with authority, legislature, local cities, and governments. Uh, we're not a government. We're strictly sort of a think tank. We're we're crystal ball gazers, mm-hmm. if you will. And well, you you come out with the, the the findings, the goals, and how people respond to them. No one is un, under any obligation to to follow those. Yeah. Um, how successful do you think? I mean, have they been? Have the legislators and the and the people who make these kinds of decisions have they been following them? Yeah, most decisions about urban form, about the way we actually grow. Um, in the way you can feel it and see it around you is actually local government. But a lot, of, a lot of our effort was helping local governments understand how their individual decisions were affecting a pattern of growth uh, throughout, throughout the region. And so, yes, it's had a major impact. For uh, And I gave you an example a few minutes ago about how we now have lot sizes in Salt Lake County, average lot size that are less than half, of what they were historically. We're back to lot sizes, new lot sizes, smaller than in 1900 in Salt Lake County. Really? Yeah. Now, I live in a house in Salt Lake City, uh, which was built in 1903. Yeah, and how big is your yard? It's tiny. Yeah, I have so a, like 60 a, feet by 100? As a matter of fact, they're twin houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're, they're good-sized houses, three-story houses, brick houses. Uh, right. What do they call it? My, my wife says they're called salt box houses or something like <laughs> you that. You got me on that one. Uh, anyway, uh, and um, I think the two houses, and they share we share a driveway. Right. And brothers built the two it's houses. my grandfather's house yeah. on 9th, 9th South. 9th and uh, the, those two houses probably sit on a lot that's not even as big as those lots out in uh, Bluffdale and places like that used yeah. to have been. So Yeah, and so, so we're back to where we were. And it's not that what we suggested was telling governments what to do. It was that the market was moving that way so people could afford housing. Uh, we were becoming a major urban area. We're one of the most urban states in America now in the top five or six. And, be, and, and so it was more about governments deciding they would allow smaller lots and more multifamily and more townhomes and so on. So big changes have occurred. Um, we were predicted to, to expand on a more than 300 square miles of new land between 2000 and 2020. We'll actually do far less than half of that, hmm. saving 
probably a couple hundred square miles of farmland around us because we're just not expanding outward as fast as a culture. And that's been market-driven forces, governments allowing it to occur, uh, and creating better places so that people like what they're going to get. Even though they're giving up some yard, they may live in a place where there's paths, trails, parks, mm-hmm. and so on. Yeah. Uh, so, so that survey done in 1999. Right. And um, how does... Um how does the how does it come into play? I guess I want to I, I want to say that Envision Utah should have a, a cop, you know, the Envision Utah cop mm-hmm. who watches everything that goes around goes on in local planning and uh, statewide planning, how the legislature affects it, and, and and says, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, you're you're going, you're not kind of right. following what the survey said. Does right. anybody do that? Well, there were 400 experts who worked on this project uh, on eight task forces working on 11 topics. Uh, they're people of influence, understanding, education there. They clearly are now emotionally attached to this project. Uh-huh. So, yes, they play that role. Okay. Uh, in addition, we have our board, which is over 100, and an executive committee. We have the present Senate's on my executive committee, for example. Um, so... There are people involved who feel strongly about the issues, but no, there's no legal stick involved yeah. in this anywhere. There's only carrots. No. We, we can have a better culture, a better place if we do these things. And by the way, here's what Utahns want. 53,000 Utahns have now said, go this way. And in, in a lot of the topics, we can see Utah's already headed that way. But on a few of them, we can see, whoa, we're uh, headed over there, and Utah's saying, take that mountain or some degree of in-between. Do, uh, do you find that, uh, and is there a way to kind of track or measure that, uh, again, city planners and, and those people uh, come, come to you and say, uh, could I, t- I need a study on, have you guys done this? Yes, and, that yeah. happens all the time. In fact, we, we uh, in between that big effort called the Quality Growth Strategy uh, at the end of the 90s and what we're doing today, we've done more than 40 projects, which I would call regional or sub-regional projects, helping cities, counties solve problems, figure out how to implement things better in their own area. Oh. Uh, so so we're, we're constantly involved in actually helping people at their request, and they invite us to come help them figure out how to implement it. So we do local visions. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Vision Cache Valley. Uh, the Jordan River Project, which we did, that led to the creation of the Jordan River Commission, all the cities coming together to preserve and protect and uh, enhance the Jordan River. And we did one called Wasatch Canyons Tomorrow, which was about the Wasatch Front Canyons, which has sort of led to the whole debate about uh, the trains and uh, tunnels and, and tunnels and all of that. So we're yeah. not, that's now in an implementation debate. The Mountain Accord. The Mountain Accord. But yeah. we sort of kicked all that thinking off, saying we can love our canyons to death. Uh, is that really what we want? So. We've helped do visions in small areas like Bear Lake. How do they grow? Was there, hmm. There's 4,000 people up there. So what's their future? Mm-hmm. So there's an Envision Bear Lake. Um, we we worked on uh, a group of string of the small cities across the Wasatch back. We've been up and talk, chatting with Park City about you know what's going to happen to them as people use the 20,000 entitlements that are already outstanding in Summit County. Oh, man. Uh, so... Yeah, we get around and people come to us and say, you're sort of the experts on this growth stuff. Uh, how does it work for us? What could happen to us? And and that's what we like to do. We go where people want us to come mm-hmm. and help them just think about a better future. 
what, uh, what, By the way, you, I want to say one yeah, more thing. You asked yeah. the question about, about a cop and about <laughs> measuring things. Uh-huh. If you measure things too quickly about changes in urban form, you don't see the results. And so there have been a lot of efforts. Elaborate, yeah. Yeah, it takes a long time to change an urban area the size of Salt Lake, the, size of the Wasatch front and back. And so change is incremental. And if you say at the end of the first year, well, what did we change this year? The change is small enough because the trajectory may be only 1% different or 1.5% difference. But if you add up 1.5% over 20 years, it's 30% different. And so you have to be patient. This is not for the faint of heart, and it's not for those who want quick results. This is not like running a corporation where you report your earnings every quarter. That drives short-term thinking, not long-term strategy. So we're about long-term thinking about patience as things change. And it's difficult to see change when you're living in the midst of it, too. Yeah, and it happens incrementally around us. So what I just said about lot size, most people in this valley have no idea how much the lot. We haven't lost our love affair with single-family homes, but we have lost our love affair that you have to have enough yard in the back to put a horse. Yeah. Okay, there are so people have horse property. That's wonderful. But there were cities that required you to have an acre. Yeah. Uh, that that's pretty well all gone up and down the Wasatch Front everywhere. Um, so why did um, Envision Utah decide it's time for a new survey? And what what is this one? What did you call this one? Your Utah, your future. Right. Well, um, the stars sort of lined up. Um, the governor feels strongly that growth and handling growth correctly is probably the major issue of his his time in office. Now, he was one of the founders of Envision Utah. He was a young county commissioner in Utah County when we did the first effort. So there are legislators who were heavily involved. Uh, there were mayors like Tom Dolan in Sandy and Ralph Becker. Uh, people have been involved for a long time who felt like enough has changed. We ought to sort of take a hard look and measure those changes, and then we ought to look out now say, okay, if we're going to add 2.5 million more people from now till 2050, and there's 2.9 of us now, so there can be almost two for every one. How do we accommodate that growth? We need a new vision and a stronger set of goals and clear strategies for the changes we see now. Did anybody suggest maybe we should not allow the population to grow that big? Yes. I don't know how you can yeah, stop no, no, that, it. But. No, and you, well, and my, my response to that is, well, you mend the Constitution, take out the, the right to travel and, yeah. and live where you want, and then at that point we'll talk about how to stop it. Um, every region that has ever tried to stop growth uh, has failed at it. I mean, I, I watched, I'm a real estate lawyer by training originally, and I watched every trick in the book to stop growth used in California over the last 40 years. You know, Livermore, California, moratoriums, whatever you could try, and all of them failed at the end of the day. So uh, you can crawl, you, you can tell people not to have children, but. No. That that's not an effective strategy. So yes, there there's some set of Utah. It's probably ten to fifteen percent. I would say, let's just not grow. Keep them out. Yeah, yeah. Keep them out. And mm-hmm. and by the way, the famous governor of uh, Oregon did that a number of years ago and really really slammed their economy up there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so um, fifty three thousand people responded. Uh, or fifty fifty thousand. You wanted fifty thousand. Yes. By by the midnight. On the last day of May, we had 52,845. Now, people have continued to take the survey, but that's when we looked at Dan Jones. It's now called Cicero, but Dan Jones, Mm -hmm. Cicero, 
and said, okay, you now have the largest database in the history of Dan Jones. Now help us start crunching numbers about what, you, what Utah's really said. Uh, is, uh, so you have to call through all of that, I guess. And I, w- I took the survey, I know, after we talked. I went up uh, Thank and you. took it. And uh, I, I suppose some of them you have to discard. They're, you know, like, well, well, you didn't complete this one or... Yeah. So there's some of that. but One of the reasons you want a very large group is because the larger the group, the more it it approaches statistical relevance. So we also had Dan Jones run a statistical survey parallel to us so we could cross-check the results and make sure the 53,000 were not only a loud voice but an accurate voice of Utah's hopes and desires. Did you did you try to? You, there was probably no way to vet people at all. And uh, no, uh, and I can't remember in the survey. Was there anything about income level yeah, and that had, kind of stuff? We did get some good uh, demographic, and I, I can tell you as you looked across all of the answers, we we knew income level, um, education level. Um, we didn't ask some of the more traditional demographics, but marital status, yeah, or, so on. But but it, it was interesting that the only cross tab, the only demographic that showed significant differences, was rural versus urban. We knew where people lived, and so rural Utah answered somewhat differently on some of the questions than urban Utah. Yeah. Although you'd be shocked to know that urban Utahns are as concerned about the future of agriculture as our rural Utahns now. Well, let's start going through some of the some of the findings. And you brought up uh, agriculture. Um, it's I thought agriculture was almost a moot point anymore. Yeah, I mean it's almost. It seems like we we have it, the death of agriculture. It is. It is so interesting to see how the public has responded on agriculture. It may have been the biggest surprise of all. Other things you could have read in advance, but Utah said, we do not like where we are in agriculture. We want locally grown food. We want to be more self-sufficient. We're now down to where we produce a couple percent of our fruits and vegetables, 25% of our dairy. We're dependent on very long supply lines for fruits and vegetables, all the way more than 1,000 miles to Mexico now. Um, in Utahns are, con- are watching the droughts. They're concerned about it. The locally grown food movement of the millennials has matched up with the baby boomer self-sufficiency notions. Mm-hmm. And we have a juggernaut of interest now and support for um, re- retracing our steps, essentially undoing some of the damage we've done to agriculture um, in the state. And uh – if uh, so, so Utahns they they want they want they say I want to know. I mean, it kind of goes against the, our grain right. that we aren't. We're supposed to be self sufficient. We're Utahns. That's how we're raised. You know, right. that's what the Mormon Church teaches you. You know, right. what a, and then you sit and you realize, wait a minute, we don't even grow our own food anymore. People were shocked. Nobody understood how far it had gone, and these numbers were vetted with the help of the Department of Agriculture, state and federal. No, everybody I showed those numbers to was shocked that we have gone that far. And a lot of it is that our best farmlands were here in the Wasatch Front and back. They're the microclimate around the lakes, which tempers the, the, air, the air temperature swings um, and where we have our best water and our early most farmland. And so Utah County is still the most productive agricultural county in the state, and its population is going to double by 2050. 
So we're going to have another half million people. So we have to look at ways of preserving that right. that farmland, if that's if that's what right. You and want. I, I think there are two things that are going on, and we saw agriculture come up not just in the agricultural portion where people chose the vast majority of Utahns chose scenarios that said let's reverse this trend. We want to produce more of our food, but it also came up in water. People were willing to cut the water uh, that they use on their lawn if it would stay in agriculture and produce food. So, you know, the self-sufficiency notion mixed with the health benefits people perceive of locally grown food has just had an overwhelming shift in direction. I think that the attitude about agriculture is bottomed out, and we have seen a, a real shift in the trend line, and people have not picked up on it. Now, I know that another survey was recently done by another one of the water groups in Utah and found the same thing on agriculture that we found. People are not, do not want to get our municipal water by killing farms. And we have had a system to do that for 40 years. <clears throat> That's kind of been... What, what, no, explain what you mean by that. Well, so if you, if you uh, are on the outskirts of a city and you want to develop subdivision, the city charges you an impact fee for water. But if you bring a farm in and give them the water, they don't charge you an impact fee. So it's a very, it's a, it's a well-greased system that we not only, we, we in, incentivize developers to build on farms, not on dry ground. Yeah. And we've been doing that now forever. And so it's not just about keeping the farm land available. It's about keeping the agriculture water available. And Utah said on, on the water and ag, they're more willing to get the water from, by building projects than to take it off the farms. Did anybody ask them if they're willing to pay for water what it should really cost? That's always an interesting question. The people said we are willing to conserve and use a lot less water, which is the same, I think, in a way, as testing that notion. So, um, by the way, it's not clear about about which way brings the water in cheaper. There was a lot of, I mean, the water group had very sophisticated experts on it. Uh, Some of that is not as clear as you might think that that would... That water, water from the farm, water from a project, probably cost about the same. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, water major issue, agriculture a major issue, and I want to ask you one more thing about agriculture. So we find that people are shocked that um, so much of our agriculture has gone away, right? Um, and they'd like to see it come back. Right. Is there any way to bring it back? There, I think there's a series of things. There's no, there may not be a silver bullet, but there's a set of brass bullets lined up here. One, one is clearly urban agriculture, and we see that on the rising to, I've got a daughter-in-law who's got chickens in the backyard. She's got eight laying hens. The kids go out and rake out the eggs in the morning, cook them mm-hmm. for breakfast. So, um, And she's not alone. I mean, we, we're, we're seeing garden plots popping up all over the place. Uh, my neighborhood's been talking about doing an urban orchard where each of us would put in the same kind of fruit trees in our yards, and then we'd hire somebody to manage them and pick the crops. Smart idea. Um, so urban agriculture, agriculture within our urban spaces. I mean, why do all street trees need to be ones that don't bear fruit? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. well, I helped Laie think about this a couple of years ago, and their plan was now all, all street trees will be fruit trees. Uh, so urban agriculture is one. Then you move on to... Just constraining urban growth. Let the market decide and, and continue to increase the density. That will protect agriculture in and of itself. So a lot of the protection of ag we need is actually going to come as urban form continues to involve. Better transit, better options, uh, better, more mixed use. 
and so on. So we are we are just starting up in Utah County with the county commissioners and the and the farmers there a project to study this for the next year and come up with a with a toolbox for Utah counties and cities on the preservation of farmers. Farm. So, so the answer is yes, there are things that can be done. There are. Probably the most important is farmers need to make money. Okay, <laughs> well, and so so the whole farmer's market movement cuts out the middlemen. If, yeah. if you're in a powerful supply chain negotiating with Walmart super centers on the value of your peaches, that's a very different situation than if you're talking to some of your neighbors at a booth in, uh, you know, in downtown yeah. Salt Lake City about buy some peaches from me. Yeah. And so you, all of a sudden you've got a markup, which is significantly different for the farmer. Uh, yeah, now you see more and more. That I really like this. There's uh, this guy out in Vernon, Chris, Christian Christiansen. Mm-hmm. His Christiansen Hog Farm. Yeah. And he's, you know, he has another job at Dugway or something. Right. He and his family, they raise Almost pigs. Almost every farmer has yeah. a, another job. And, I, you know, and I say to him, why do you, what do you, why do you raise pigs? Well, like, that's what I really want to do, but, you know. Right. But he raises the pigs and he sells them and, uh, to, I mean, to local restaurants and mm-hmm. uh, all of that. And, um, Utah's own. Yeah. Great movement. Utah's own. Yeah. So that, that is a way to bring it back. And yeah. I want to see more people like that succeed. Well, and, and if you go down to Mona, just uh, near, mm-hmm. near Nephi, sure. uh, the hot air, the hot gases coming off of the power plant down there are heating greenhouses and growing hydroponic potato- or tomatoes. So we've yet to get to really ply our brains to how we could feed ourselves. You go to Israel where they have very little water. They're growing heads of lettuce on pieces of lava rock where they drip the water into the pockets, you know, the little air pockets in the lava rock, and everything works just fine. And the, and the little roots, tendrils go into the rock. Yeah. Hmm. I, mean, I mean, there's a whole science uh, out there. And by the way, we are producing substantially more food per acre with a third less water than we used to in America. Agriculture has become very high-tech. Those combines you see in the field or mm-hmm. planting devices, they're all running off GPS, computer-driven right. systems. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk about air quality. Um, so I, I'm sure that yeah, out of 53,000 people questioned, 53,000 said we'd like better air right. than we have. That's just a no Air quality implicates so many of your human values that we will never do enough on air quality. The public's always going to be concerned about their health, the impact on their mood, uh, the way it affects their ability to exercise out of doors. And so air quality is going to become, it has its own unique separate value ladder in Utah that gets stronger every year. And if if you're standing in the way of clean air, you probably just ought to step aside before the, the juggernaut runs you down. So the... Uh uh, the wood-burning stove um, legislators who have they've continued to manage to block it because of the uh, uh, lobby from the wood-burning stove people. Right. Uh, that's gonna. It's not going to be much longer before they're just people say enough. Well, it, with it, that, what's interesting about the wood-burning stove is we saw. Um, we tested people's willingness to do certain things. So if you ask the public in the survey, are you willing, very willing, willing, somewhat willing to not have people burn wood during inversions? Uh, it has the strongest reaction, I think, of anything we asked in the survey. And so there's, there's 15% for whom it's either a political freedom issue mm-hmm. or, or it's, I'm, it's economic for them. And, and we need to continue just to move towards solving 
the, the approaches to it so it happens. Um, the Clean Air Action Team, which recommended our air quality survey and our scenarios, actually recommended not, not a complete ban, but a, a ban during any time an inversion could be building. Yeah, well, that, that okay, certainly so, makes sense. So if it's Christmas Eve and it's snowing outside, the inversion is not building. Yeah. Okay, and so can you, re- you really want to tell everybody they can't have a Christmas Eve fire. Uh, and so I think there may be some, some adjustments to, to the approach on this without a complete winter ban. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, um, are, are, are people driving less? Do we know that? They say we, they will, but are they? People actually, up through 2013, I haven't seen the data for last year, uh, we're driving less. We're driving less than we were when we did the original work in 1998. Mm-hmm. So Utah was one of the places in the country where vehicle miles traveled per person actually declined. Now, as a culture, as inhabitants of Utah, we are not all driving less miles. I am driving less and you are driving a little less, mm-hmm. but there are a lot more of us. Yeah. And But the one thing, the one thing we know for sure is that we're going to see a real shift. This is not from the results of the survey, but from the scenarios work that went into the survey. Um, right now, mobile sources are the dominant source. They're over half of the emissions that become PM 2.5. Under any scenario of the future by 2050, our buildings are going to be a lot larger uh, contributor than the mobile sources. Now, I'll tell you why. Okay. The federal government's regulating gas. They're regulating cars. They're getting a lot cleaner. Yeah. But we're going to double the number of buildings in Utah by 2050. And unless, unless they have a lot cleaner appliances in them, water heaters, furnaces, unless they are, they are built with a shell, which reduces energy and so on, mm-hmm. unless we do those things, the sources, those what we call area sources, buildings in particular, are going to dwarf mobile sources by 2050. I, now, this, uh, I, this is uh, news to me. I think it's, it's news, news to, to everybody. Most people don't think of buildings as being polluters. I mean, uh, you know, they don't think of that as the source of pollution. We're right. told Because we're, we're told all the time it's just simply people driving. Right. Well, and, and, well, the Clean Air Act was passed by a Republican Congress, by the way, in about 1970. And they Richard went after, Nixon, I think. Yeah, they went after point sources, big industrial sources. And so those have been pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed, and they are uh, you know, about 10% of the pie in Utah right now of sources. Mm-hmm. Then you had, the, so the car comes on, and we all become autocentric, and that became the major thing. But that's being pushed back down really strongly as the sort of the California standards have become the national standards now on Tier 3. Um, but the area sources are the sleeper sources. They're you and me. They're the two fires we tend in our basement every day called a furnace and a water, water heater. Water heater. And, I have two water heaters. Right. And by the way, you can buy, You can, next time your water heater burns out, you can replace your water heater with an ultra-low NOx one. Don't tell me that. 70% less efficient. It costs you $10 more. Don't tell me that because I just got two brand new water I'm heaters. I'm sorry. But I can guarantee. My wife was, she said, I wanted to get it. I, I can guarantee that within the next decade, they will go out at the most inopportune time when you really need a hot shower. Yeah. And next time, you'll buy an ultra-low NOx one because that's what will be sold in Utah. The, the Air Quality Board just passed that rule last week upon the recommendation of the Clean Air Action Team that is part of the Envision Utah effort. That re- it really kind of has to come to that sort of thing, too, doesn't it, that, that you say to uh, the, 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 just the citizen... I'm sorry, but what we're going to have to do here is that when it comes time to replace your water heater, 
Yeah. You are not going to be able to buy that kind of water heater. Yeah, it's not going to cost you any more. All mm-hmm. they do is reshape the flame a little bit so it doesn't burn too high of temperature and crack the nitrogen bonds and create NOx, mm-hmm. nitrogen oxide mm-hmm. gases. Mm-hmm. And so it was sort of a no-brainer. It'll cut 70% of the nitrogen oxide emissions from your water heater, uh, which is a it's a big, big sure. deal with really no cost. It, now, there's a couple-year phase-in period so the dealers can get rid of their their uh, inventory yeah. and so on. But that, that happened just in the last two weeks that passed. Now, the, our Clean Air Action Team and Water Group had an assignment from the governor to make recommendations to the legislature and Air Quality Board. So they've been functioning a little differently than our eight our six other task forces. What about um, mass transit as, a, as opposed to uh, private automobiles? And, and it's always seemed frustrating to me that we continue to talk about building new roads and you know, Mountain View corridors and all of this kind of thing, and uh, where we because if you build new roads, you'll just have more cars, and that is, you know besides I mean that is a significant cause yeah. of pollution. Um, well, what people in Utah want is choices. They want the option. There, there are a couple ways you do deal with this issue. Number one is you shorten people's trips. We, we bring closer to home the things people want and need. And that can have a huge impact. And that's a strategy called centers, where I have a neighborhood center near you where you can get your cleaning done and you can go buy an ice cream cone uh, and, or maybe hopefully you could walk and ride your bike to it. Then you have a community center where the grocery store is. Then you've got a, a town center and then you've got a downtown Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. And recreating that pattern of centers in Utah is something that that people voted for in this survey just off the charts because its impact is that places are more walkable, they're more bikeable, they help clean the air because all the trips are shortened if you do drive a car. And then the other thing they want is continue to build the transit system. So so people do want more more rail. Absolutely, and there's going to be an opportunity for people to vote on it. Uh, We don't lobby. Vision Utah is a, a right. nonprofit corporation, but uh, there's an opportunity for people to express their views on getting better maintenance of their local roads, but also at the same time. Oh, that's the UTA, uh, sales tax. In, yeah, 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 giving UTA a chance to do some more uh, better bus systems and so on, in particular in this valley. Yeah, so. it's a, it'll be on the ballot in November. The right. Half cent sales tax. Is, yeah, is I that, think it's a quarter, not that, a half, yeah. And is it? Uh, is, and that's in ever. That's going to be statewide, or yeah, every county had to decide on its own. My understanding, it's on the it's ballot now county in nineteen by, counties, county by county, though. county by county. But Salt Lake certainly. And Salt Lake's on board. I mean, most of the, the Wasatch Front and Back who have seen the benefits of transit. I mean, we built transit faster than anywhere else in America. That's the other thing I would point out. Besides, sort of the shift in the housing market is the transit system that that everybody came out of that uh, quality growth strategy vision saying, let's build it, and let's build it fast. And the public, because they had voted on the scenarios, had seen the benefits. And we got, as a matter of fact, we got that partially because of the Olympics and and, and almost indirectly from the day we're taping this from 9-11. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of odd. It, it, it is odd. I, I flew the year after 9-11. I went the, I did, I'd, had forgotten Mm-hmm. It was that date. I went to the airport. There was nobody in the airport. Nobody was flying a year later yeah. on 9-11. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's strange to think back how profoundly that has changed our psyche yeah. and how the much the world has shifted since then. But, but that's one of the things that you see coming in th- this, this kind of a survey 
is a desire of Utahns. If you look out 35 years saying, well, the world may not be as stable all the time, we want to be more self-sufficient in disaster resilience. We want to be more self-sufficient in agriculture. We want to remain self-sufficient in energy. We have been very self-sufficient in energy, but we're changing sources. And people voted to change, you know, the sources Mm -hmm. and so on. So this notion of if you look out a third of a century, you know, the world could be a rougher place at times. And we ought to be resilient, economically resilient in other ways. You know, we we live in a earthquake-prone area, as we all know, and everybody always says. But I don't really think people worry about it that much. Uh, Do they? Actually, disaster resilience jumped way up in this survey. When you ask people about it, it's not top of mind, but you say, what should we do about it? Uh, and let me, let me just give you some things we've learned along the way. Utah, mainly Salt Lake Valley, has 168,000 unreinforced masonry buildings. That means they're a stack of bricks. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I that beautiful home. I live in one. Okay, but it's only one story probably. No, it's... It's three. It's two, it's three stories. Okay. Yeah. I hope you live on... I don't know where... Never uh, mind. Yeah. I, <laughs> okay. And but it's we right have, on the fault line. Okay. So we have 168,000 of them. California only has 25,000 of them left because they started in the 80s that when people were going to sell those, to have them spend a few thousand dollars retrofitting them so they won't kill you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if we have a major earthquake, we're going to kill thousands of people. And the odds are one in four will have that kind of an earthquake in the next 50 years. That's what. So those are the things we were learning was that, you know, California outlawed unreinforced masonry buildings in the 1930s and started retrofitting in the 80s. So they used to have a lot more than we did. Plus they had a few earthquakes that knocked some down. Yeah. So, so Utahns, when they saw those statistics about how many people we would kill. Uh, Think of my family. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's not just Maybe you. I, I won't mean, be home that Just day. go out to one of these <laughs> nice streets on the west yeah. side of the valley where you have all the old brick buildings, the yep. Rose Park. Walk, walk, walk down the street, 10 houses, turn around and look back, and there'll be dead people in one of those houses after yeah. the earthquake. This is not, these are real statistical numbers that, mm-hmm. that come home. So people voted strongly in the survey that if, if it cost 1.5% in the cost of a house, so you buy a $300,000 house, you pay 4500 more, you could make that house so not just that it doesn't kill you, but it will stand up and be inhabitable after the earthquake. So should we have a slightly stronger building code to make sure our new homes are not just built to health and safety, which means it doesn't kill you, but are built to be habitable? The predictions are now if we had that earthquake along the West Edge Front, hundreds of thousands of people in this valley mm-hmm. will have no place to put their head yeah. at night. And, no place to live. And the problem is not just disaster, short term short-term disaster preparation. It's not a 72-hour kid. It's not two hours of water in your, or two weeks of water in your basement. This is about the resilience of our economy. If you go look at Christchurch, New Zealand, which had a major earthquake. Right. I remember that, and okay. it was big. I was in New Zealand last year, and everywhere you go in New Zealand, you find people who used to live in Christchurch. Sandy, we just went through the 10th, the 10th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. New Orleans hasn't recovered. They lost 80% of their businesses, and most of those have not come back. You go to where Hurricane Hurricane Sandy hit the east coast of the United States, not recovering. I mean, that earthquake, unless we are better prepared, could put Utah's economy and all of our jobs just flat on our back for for a long time. And so our survey was not about disaster preparation. It was disaster resilience in the sense of our ability to bounce back as in our, our economy and go on. 
Well, uh, and so, people voted strongly to do that. Well, so what what makes you able to bounce back? Uh, 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 I guess certainly not all of the buildings leveled. <laughs> that no. has something to do with it. But what else would? How can you bounce back? It's largely infrastructure. It's our our roads, our bridges, our water lines. Right now, the vast majority of our water in this valley comes across the Wasatch Fault. You think about think about that fault slipping a few feet, yeah. uh, which is what the prediction is not just a few. It could be significant. Cut all those water lines. A, sm- a, s- a small fraction of the wells in the valley have diesel backup on them if the electricity's down. We'd have a water crisis. Uh, but just... And, and by the way, the utility companies are gradually building stronger, stronger systems as they move forward, as they replace things. But we don't have a fund in Utah where we pay a very small amount in our utility bills going into a fund to actually upgrade the utility systems. And we should. Um, we should give them the money to do a better job, not just fix something that's old and worn out, but actually go do the studies and go in and fix the things that are most at risk. So stronger infrastructure, businesses themselves who are better prepared. The state's got a program, Be Ready Your Business. You've probably seen all of mm-hmm. that. Yeah. But, but make sure we don't build hospitals and things in areas that are liquefaction zones. I mean, the whole chunk of Utah County is a liquefaction zone. And w- way west Salt Lake, west, west part of Salt Lake. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's what you call critical infrastructure for taking care of people and needs. And uh, New Orleans, a lot of the people who were in deep trouble were in facilities uh, for the elderly and in hospitals and other places. So we can be a lot smarter, and that's what Utah said, be as smart as we can, and, and for some minor cost, we'd like our houses to stand up. We'd like our buildings not to fall down and kill us. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'd love, I, I can't decide whether I want to be on the top floor or the... I think I want to be on the top floor so the house doesn't fall Actually, on me. Actually, it, it might surprise you how how much it would not cost you. How To retrofit this There is a true it. science to this, and people have gotten really good at it in other states. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about... Uh, uh, just the future of the of jobs and the economy. Um, right. right now, uh, our, uh, we seem to be pretty solid in terms of, I mean, the unemployment rate in Utah now is, what, 2% or something oh, like that? I, we had somebody come into our studio the other day who works for an employment. If any kid doesn't have a job right <clears throat> now, he's lost his yeah. excuse. Spherion's Staffing is the name of the company. Right. And they came in and did some commercials with us, and they said... We're, you know, we're just, we need people to come in here. If you don't, if you have a job you don't like right now, let us find you a job that you like. That's right. Because they're there. That's right. And, and uh, jobs and economy, um, we just released the results yesterday on education. Utahns strongly link education to the future of our economy. Sometimes people rank things high on the scale of importance in this survey, like water, because they're uncertain about the future and they, they're not sure we're doing great on it. But they ranked jobs and economy as the number one issue, mm. even though we are doing great on it. And the reason is it implicates so many things they care about. Their own ability to support their family, their ability of their children to get a good job and stay in Utah if they want. The Utahns have a very strong, what we call a secondary value ladder about jobs and economy, which is about if my neighbor has a good job, if everybody gets a good education, then the quality of my community will be better. 
you know, citizenship mm-hmm. will be better. Mm-hmm. Um, crime rates will drop. Incomes will rise. Uh, and so on. So, so the, you know, probably the key lever on jobs and economy and the public perception and in reality is are we educating everybody? And uh, in this educational survey, you really see the heart of Utahns. They, they said, we gave them 100 points that said, tell us of a series of things, what outcomes you care about education. These are the three top ones, and they're almost tied. It helps everybody get a job. Okay, it prepares people for the workforce. Number two, it, it helps people be fulfilled in their lives and gives everybody a full opportunity to succeed. Um, and and those, those kind of things where they're thinking about the rest of the public, not just their own family, their own kids, are, are so critical. So you see the heart of Utah sort of running through a lot of these themes about mm-hmm. we need to take care of everybody. Everybody needs that opportunity. And so... On the education scenario, they picked uh, four out of five Utahns picked a scenario which would would put the surpluses of Utah largely to education, as we are predicted to have surpluses going forward. Budget surpluses. Yeah, even yeah. Poten- even potential tax increases to really get more resources there, and then have highly leveraged strategies on early childhood education, making sure we are assessing every kid, and so we could intervene and help them if they needed help making sure tuition at our colleges and universities and post-secondary schools was truly affordable so kids could finish the long journey and really become as productive and fulfilled as they, as they potentially could be. So, so we, uh, the, 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 the results on education were just really heartening. Uh, and the, uh, I think it's interesting, I, you mentioned it, and I see it here in the uh, bullet points, most Utahns are willing to uh, say, y- y- increase my taxes if you have to. For education. Well, let's let's pat the governor and the legislature on the back for last year. They did pretty much that strategy. They took the bulk of the surplus, put it towards education, and they did a slight tax increase. I think okay. the governor wanted more than the legislature would give him. He asked for more. Yeah. And but together, that was a we haven't seen a year like that for a decade. Mm. Okay. And what the public said was, "Great, do it again, and then do it again, mm. and then do it again." Uh, because this is what we care about, about most deeply about our families and about our culture. Is let's make sure everybody can can succeed. Did we uh, did we talk about in the survey? Did uh, did you address or did it come up in uh, peripherally uh, how people feel about their own personal safety and um, policing and that sort of thing? You're, you're talking about sort of neighborhood safety, safety. neighborhood safety yeah. and security, and it comes out in lots of ways. We do. We regularly do what's called a value study. We did, we did our thir- third iteration of this in 20 years recently. The number one value ladder in Utah, the thing that is that you can sort of, how, how Utahns make decisions, the number one thing is, do I live in a safe, secure place where I can raise my family and we're, we're okay, we're going to be okay? If they're senior and alone, they have the same deep feelings about safety and security. And so... Utahns in this survey defined a lot of things they think help with that. And strong economy, great educational system that moves everybody forward, um, mixed-use housing in neighborhoods so that kids who would otherwise struggle in school could be in better neighborhoods in a better school. They've, they strongly supported that. We saw really interesting sort of redefinitions 
not redefinition so much as an expansive, more expanded definition of what they think will make their neighborhood, their communities stronger, more safe, more secure. That yeah. mixed-use component surprises me. Yeah, and it, that was part of the housing and housing portion of the survey. And Utah said they really like the concept of mixed-use centers, and they really don't. They really are contrary to, to sort of what sort of happens naturally in a lot of ways, and that's we concentrate poverty yeah. in certain neighborhoods. And they're, they're opposed to that. They, they know intuitively that that happens. The other thing I think that happened over the last decade is we went through the Great Recession, and a lot of people living on the East Bench had a child who couldn't get a job. Mm-hmm. You know, in other words, it turned out that the poor people were in their family. Yeah. It was. It was a, and they're, they had to stay living there. Right. And they lived yeah. in the basement, which yeah. made you care about it even more. So um, I, think, I think Utah's – the Great Recession was a great teacher, uh, I think, throughout our culture that it's, it's not us and them. It's us and us uh, when, it, when it comes to, to being able to – the other thing is I think we have a whole younger generation moving away from aggregation, uh, collecting wealth and – and uh, they don't property. Want, they don't want stuff as much they as they want, used to. They don't want stuff as much, mm-hmm. um, and they don't want to work as hard. They don't want. They don't want to be a Type A personality of the past. And I see this uh, all the time in uh, younger generations. Sometimes it's frustrating, and sometimes I go, "Wow, I wish I thought like that when I was 30. Yeah, I, I agree, hundred uh, percent. Uh, some your your impulse is to say you know the only way, place way I got anywhere was to just work constantly and that's and that's what I still do and I just I right. work but I I watch uh, the way some younger generations do it uh, they're a little more casual and a little more relaxed about the whole thing right you know uh, when I need the money I'll work right and I'll take care of it right there'll be a job I can do it. Right. Yeah, I, and I, I really applaud that. I, I yeah. think uh, I'd, I, I'd like to be a bit more relaxed about that sort of thing than right. I Right. Yeah, and I think many of us uh, are not we're, not, we're not changing very much. We wish we were changing well, it's, more. It's too late. You know, uh, yeah. I, I, I'll just remain a driven, <laughs> you know, work myself into the grave sort of person. Well, you know. Okay, so let's be honest with our listeners here. So what is it you're wearing while we're having this interview? Well, I'm wearing shorts and... Athletic shoes and right. casual right. shirt. Right. What, what am I wearing? Well, you're wearing a suit and tie. And, and I, yeah. You so, took your tie off. Right. I took my tie off. So. Yeah. You'd like to be wearing, you'd like to be wearing your right. bathrobe right it's, now. It's, <laughs> it's Friday and I, I, I clearly overdressed. You'd like for, to be, you'd, I'd like to be sitting here in my, uh, when I go home, I put on uh, a lava lava. I just take a big, a yeah, big, yeah. you know, thing and I wrap it around, take my pants off and wear, <laughs> and wear a tank top. And that's, I would, and I'd like to be doing that at work. Yes. Yeah. yeah and, uh, the world, the world is a revol- resolving or changing around us. Let me tell you one thing, though, in this survey. Young Utahns, middle-aged Utahns, older Utahns, they did not react to this, this survey differently. Interesting. Uh, and uh, it, Millennials in Utah, if millennials are truly different millennials in Utah, we're not much different than hmm. the rest of Utahns. Uh, we see smart responses to how to build the future coming out of all age groups. The, de- the demographic on age made no difference. The demographic on education made little difference. Uh, demographic on income made little difference. And, and that was all sort of surprising to me. 
Uh, so as Envision Utah, our goal is to listen to the public and then let the public frame the vision. And, you know, over the next about five weeks from now, we're going to roll out uh, the mixture of all of these things. How do they all interconnect? Uh, How and, will you do that? Uh, Where will people see that? Okay. Uh, it will be rolled out on October 26th. Uh, once a year, Envision Utah recognizes a for-profit and a not-for-profit uh, entity in Utah that is serving the community. We do that at what we call the Common Good Awards Lunch. That's on October 26th. The governor is the keynote speaker. He hasn't spoken at uh, This governor hasn't spoken at it. We've had a lot of great speakers over the years. And that day we will roll out the strategy and the vision with the governor and all of the other people involved in this process. So October 26th, uh, and we're... We're living night and day with this data, mm-hmm. uh, and it, we're, we're seeing lots of integration, like ag came up in water, it came up in urban form, um, you know, chewing up farmland, it came up in its agriculture independently, it came up in water. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of synergy between these topics, and getting down to the smart set of goals and strategies that are the most highly leveraged that Utahns want to get to their future that they've chosen, that's what we're trying to do. If you, if, if, and then I assume this will be available. A lot of this it'll data be, It'll is, be a book. It'll be it, online. It'll be in video. It, it's, yeah. A lot of this uh, preliminary data is it's probably already available yeah, yeah, at, fact, at your website. Yeah, envisionutah.org. You can go there and all of these, all of the charts and graphs. Um, we have 560 charts. We didn't give them to everybody because we didn't want to bore people to tears. But, but uh, Dan Jones has never had a database this large or this complex. And so they've just had a lot of fun with us studying it. So that's what we're doing now. So what we're releasing right now are the survey results. Yeah. We've taken those results back now to the 400 experts and said, okay, you gave the public these four choices. This is what they picked. Now, you told us these were the strategies to get there. Now, if Utahns want this, how are we going to get there? So the vision, a vision is, is where we want to go, mm-hmm. but it's also the set of strategies. The originally, original effort, the quality growth strategy, had six goals, 42 strategies. So we're trying to narrow that down and, and really fully understand the synergies that Utahns appointed us to. You've been um, doing this kind of work for, for quite a while now. A couple decades uh, I was the founding chair of Envision Utah when we kicked it off in January of uh, 97. So I earned my gray hair from this. So are you, uh, you, I would suspect I know the answer to this, but are you generally optimistic about the future of, of growth in Utah? I, I think when you give Utahns real choices, they make really smart decisions. And we are seeing a lot of smart decision making. And some surprising, surprisingly... Uh, exciting attitudes about the future, which gives me not only hope that we'll get there, but real optimism. There's energy, civic will to push forward. So, um, yeah, I, I think I think we've got a great future ahead of us. Utah Utah tends to sort of stay in one direction for a while, but we, when, once we decide, we know how to shift, and we know how to really, you know, you know, make a strategy hum. Because mm-hmm. uh, when we work together, we really can accomplish, we can really take any mountain. So I'm, I'm really very optimistic. And a lot of the things we're doing in Utah are just right on. But there's some things like on agriculture where you show that to an economist and they say, but the higher and best use of that water is just to take it for somebody who will pay more for it for that manufacturing plant over there. And, and I say, well, that's dollars and cents. But what about what Utahns care about? 
Uh, that's values. Mm-hmm. That's what makes us tick. So we're an interesting mix of, yeah, we know about dollars and cents. Uh, we love data. Mm-hmm. But we also care deeply about what Utahns really want in their future. And, and that's what drives policy. At the end of the day, it's what people really want that ought to drive what the legislature does, ought to drive local government. Do you, do you think it does? Over time, yes. Over time, yes. Sometimes it seems awfully frustrating. Uh, this is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> yeah, again, you said, as you said. <laughs> as you said. Right. It takes an extraordinary degree of patience to not want to use wrong tools to get places yeah. to do things. Uh, in Vision Utah, it's uh, Robert Grow. Uh, we, uh, you go to envisionutah.org. Org. Envision, not envision. in. Yeah, it's envision. It's a verb. It's like an active thing to do. Think E-N. about the future. E-N Vision Utah. Yes. Envisionutah.org. Lots of data there. But I guess really the, um, the, the exciting thing will happen in October when this is all kind of put together and... Yeah, um, and you'll be able to see it online or or buy the book, probably. Right. One of the funnest things is when people go there, and they look at the the results of the survey, and they didn't take it, and they go, "Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, that that's that's what I think too." Mm-hmm. And we're hearing an awful lot of that as we release uh, step by step each of the each of the eleven topics in the survey results. So um, we did the backup statistical survey to make sure it was accurate. Um, but we're very confident that for the first time in probably tw- almost 25 years, we have this resounding, uh, firm, loud expression of Utahns about what they want to be the future, to, to what they want the future to be like. And it's a true opportunity for all of us to listen and adjust our public policy to do what to w- do what the people really want. And and, and just for individual citizens to look at all of this and and as you say maybe you didn't take the survey but you'll probably go yeah 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 i agree with that that's i agree with that and then keep that in mind and and think about who you're voting for uh, and asking them questions based on this you know well are you going to do such and such if i if i agree to vote for you will you do such and such to help fulfill this vision that's what an informed electorate does and that if, if there's anything that comes out of this is Utahns have a much better sense of what their choices are. And they're in a position now to make, uh, I think, really good decisions about who represents and, them. And think of, think of it this way. This, this is data for not just the movers and the shakers. This is uh, data for everybody. Everybody. The future of these valleys that we love um, will, be de- will be decided by millions of individual personal decisions about how we live our lives and how we, in our own sphere of influence, change things or leave them the same. And mm-hmm. so I'm, we should not underestimate. We talk a lot about what the legislature ought to do. The legislature is a piece of the energy. Uh, there's this huge civic will in Utah that when it's focused, you know, we can move mountains. It's, it's, what we, it's not just what the legislature ought to do. It's what we all ought to be doing. Right, right. You know, man, woman, and, yeah. and then make the kids do it. And one thing is yeah. that... This kind of effort has been tried all across the country, like Orlando did one like this. They're bigger than Utah, um, the whole region. They got 7,000 answers to their survey. Las Vegas just did it, bigger than Utah. They got 5,000. We got 53,000, and the way we got it was not because we're smarter on the outreach strategy. We got it because Utahns love Utah and they care. And when they heard about it, 
they wanted to have their voice heard. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the powerful thing about Utah is people here love it here. In Las Vegas, they're trying to figure out how to leave. <laughs> yeah, for the most part, yeah. Right. But Utahns have a uh, – this this place is in their hearts, yeah. and they want to make it better. And if you go to Orlando, you'll find that there's no there there, as they say. <laughs> they're trying to create one, I know, I know but, but they've got a long ways to go. Yeah. Uh, thanks a lot for doing this. Bill, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, too, because you do have this sense of optimism, and I also can just see – you know, you, you uh, I sit across from uh, Mr. Grow here, and I – you can just see in his face how much he loves talking about it and how much he loves what he's done and what, what Envision Utah does, and I think that's that's inspiring, too. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. That's it for another edition of the Let's Go Eat Show. I'm Bill Allred, and remember, if you're pouring the drinks, always make mine a double. Uh-huh.